When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that? Encrypted disks and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code JavaScriptJabber2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is JavaScriptJabber2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com slash careers to see their available positions. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Adventures in Angular. This week, we're talking to Ward Bell. Oh, that's me. I'm Charles. But Max. you're not really talking to me. You're not really talking. To me. I'm yeah, just here. That's right. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're talking to Minko Getchev. Miko, do you want to say hi? Hi. Hello, everybody. Now, we had you on about a month ago. Do you want to just kind of update everybody on who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. So currently, I'm working on Rhyme.com, which is a platform for hands-on demos and trainings. And in my spare time, I'm doing open source. The, my, my most recent project is related to data-driven bundling that uh, I'm still researching. Uh, so yeah, that's a short overview of what I do right now. Well, what are you most famous for? What are you most famous for in the Angular community? Well, either my blog or Colorizer, one of these two, or actually the Angular Gestile guy that I wrote like four or five years ago. Mm. Now the Totalizer. really important question: Star Wars or Star Trek? Totalizer. <laughs> Colorizer was the right answer. That's my answer. That's what I. I mean. That's an amazing piece of work, and um, and it's ongoing, and you have to keep it up, right? Like for Angular six that's coming out any day. Yeah, it's already up and running, and it's compatible with Angular version six. We are just we are adding new rules, uh, and uh, I think yeah, there are still some some things to clean up there, but in general, it works pretty well uh, at the moment. It it performs very quick, very fast parsing on top of the applications, our apps. Well, it is amazing. And so, um, but what you're really here to talk about is Rhyme. Rhyme, and you really got it, R-H-Y-M-E.com. You're there. Yeah. What's that about? Recently, I got the question whether we are spelling it without the H or without the E or something. So uh, Rhyme is uh, a platform that I've been working, I've been actually doing research on this uh, together with the team that uh, we're developing the platform with for about four years. And recently, about a year ago, we decided to focus on this full-time. So yeah, we just decided to build a platform which simplifies development, not only development, but in general trainings and uh, software-related demos. The headline says, hands-on software demos and training. <laughs> Give interactive software demos or training from a web browser, even on Windows and Linux. So. I'm like, all right, uh, I do that, uh, but I do it the hard way. What's, what makes Rhyme the easy way? So we noticed several different uh, problems. Well, there are different methodologies that you can, pro that you can um, 
perform in order to train people. So you have the Pluralsight model where you have a lot of pre-recorded uh, training materials. And basically people open the Pluralsight website, they start watching the video. And uh, from there on, they, had to, they have to just follow along if they can. And there is no way for them, well, at least there is no easy way for them to contact the instructor. And they, there is also not easy, no easy way for them to set up all the different uh, software that you're using in the actual Pluralsight training. So this is one model that, which actually works pretty well. But we saw some problems there, which we want to, to fix. And another model that I see is just an on-site workshop. For instance, you go to a conference, you have uh, 20 people in the room, they all, like you start doing the presentation, going through the theory, and after that, you practice together. These 20 people still, I, I've done such workshops, and uh, it takes me several, so sometimes it takes me about an hour to make sure that we all have the exact same setup because everybody hits an issue compiling uh, native and Node.js module, for instance. But uh, the good thing in this type of workshop is that it is a hands-on workshop. So you, you are you're all in the same room and you help uh, everyone who gets stuck somewhere and uh, they can talk to you. So we wanted to, there is first, when you intersect these two training models, there is this issue with the setup. So there is no way for you to guarantee that everyone has a consistent setup and everything that you want to teach in your workshop is actually going to work for uh, the other person and to spend a lot of time in making sure that you're all consistent. So, and yeah. Uh, one thing that, that comes to mind with this, though, is you have, uh, I'm trying to think of it's like codesandbox.io or um, Plunker or things like that where they kind of dynamically load in what you need. And you can get pretty consistent with that if you're doing some kind of training. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. The only limitation there is that uh, you need to have something which is running in the browser. You have StackBridge as well, which works pretty well. Unfortunately, there is nothing, uh, for instance, you cannot teach, uh, well, you cannot teach TensorFlow there or Photoshop or Visual Studio or Excel uh, because oh, this, are all, this is all native software that needs to be installed on, onto the computer. Okay, I see where you're going. So, so this is like a, a full-on VM with some kind of virtual access to it. Yes, exactly. So when you walk in as an instructor in Rhyme, you select between two operating systems right now. You can select either Windows or Linux. And right after that, you get a virtual machine, which is with some pre-installed software from us. So you, you get this virtual machine and you can control it, you can control it in your browser. You don't have you don't need any extensions or any plugins or anything. You just control this virtual machine in the browser. Uh, you can install whatever you want. You can upload files to the virtual machine. You can apply licenses or, and everything. And right after that, you can save the virtual machine. So this is what, how you set up the environment. This way, once you set up this virtual machine, you can make sure also that all the node modules are pre-installed so you don't have to lose time on, during the workshop installing, installing them. Uh, you set up the environment. And right after that, you can go in two different, uh, two different paths. So we, first, uh, we can talk about the path which is similar to on-site workshop. You can schedule a workshop, and right after that, we're going to provide you a short link. So you, you just share the short link with everybody in the room. 
they log in and they get the exact same copy as you of the virtual machine that, uh, that you actually have. So we are already consistent. You're already using the exact same setup. When you say they get it, what do you mean? What does get it mean? Is it in the cloud? They're downloading it? What, what happens? Yeah, the virtual machine is running in the cloud and they uh, establish remote, ac remote access to them. But this is still dynamic. So this is still something which we are not too tightly coupled with. Sometimes uh, we can... We, we may even run something in your browser eventually because this is going to be uh, much more lightweight for us. But at the moment, if you need a Windows virtual machine, we are running it in the, in, the, in the cloud and you're directly accessing it through your browser. Mm -hmm. So and This would also obviate the need for something like, uh, or I guess the advantage over something like VirtualBox or Docker or something like that, you know, for Linux, it's like, okay, you know, connect to the Docker instance in this way. I don't have a good way of doing that on your machine, but since this is all hosted in the cloud, I can switch over and see you, my student, and see what you're stuck on. Yeah, yeah, this is the other part. So as a guide, you see all the different students who have been, who are participating in your workshop. So you see a grid of students. Uh, you can switch between, the, these, between these two different views. You can either see your virtual machine and the list of, a list of students, or you can see the entire, entire grid of students where you can see a thumb of each student and uh, make sure that they're able to follow. You can see their virtual mm -hmm. machine. If you see that someone is not following, you can directly start, like establish connection to their virtual machine. And this way you will be able also to talk to them if they are not in the same room with you. There is WebRTC audio conferencing for everyone in the session. Nice. So yeah, this is the alternative of on-site workshop where you're demoing live and everyone is following up. Uh, but at some point, you're... So this first doesn't scale too well, right? You cannot teach 30 people or like 100 people, people at once because you cannot pay attention to everybody this way. Uh -huh. At some point, and also you're busy uh, showing uh, to people what actually you want to teach. So uh, we, we decided that it might be worth it to provide the video recording. So you open your virtual machine and you record your course in the browser, again, without any extensions or anything. And this way, students, instead of seeing your virtual machine where you're performing the workshop, they're seeing recording of your screen, the, recorded, the recording that you created for the specific session. And uh, in the meantime, you can focus directly observing their screens and uh, helping out the people who are not able to follow. That makes so sense. these are two different. These are the two different modes of Rhyme right now. So um, I noticed on the logo, it's got a sort of a screenshot of what the experience would be, and it has a whole bunch of little logos on it. There's an Angular logo. There's an Excel logo. There's a Salesforce logo. There's a Visual Studio logo, and then there's two others I don't recognize, even though I think I should. So what do those all, all those logos mean? What are they telling me? Uh, they're telling you that you can teach anything through Rhyme. Basically, I'm using Rhyme for... Yesterday, I used it for a workshop, for an Angular workshop. It went pretty well. This Saturday, I'm hosting another free workshop through Rhyme. It is a recorded workshop, so it is going to be about 10 hours. And so I recorded a session which takes about two hours to complete. So anyone can join at any time. 
I will be right there looking at their virtual machine and helping them helping them out if they are not able to follow. Uh, so I'm I'm teaching Angular, but I think a great use case is uh, teaching TensorFlow, for instance. This is the logo at the top right, uh, at the bottom right. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, imagine if you're just getting started with software development, and uh, but you know a little bit of Python. So if a TensorFlow expert records a video for how you can write a model which recognizes cats and dogs on photos, and they provide you step-by-step instructions on how you can do that in a video, you can follow along this video, like in your virtual machine, which, is, which already has working Python and TensorFlow and, TensorFlow and everything. And if you get stuck somewhere, this this guide, the the TensorFlow expert, can help you out to figure out what the what issues actually you're facing. Yeah, that makes sense. So, have you used this in a coding environment to teach people yeah. coding techniques? Yeah, yesterday I was using it with Visual. Uh, I have one virtual machine with VS Code pre-installed. Uh, Angular CLI works pretty well. Like basically anything can work in your virtual machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what if I choose a technology though that people don't know well? So for example, I my editor of choice is Emacs. I see. And so then I see people using other editors and I think, well, why don't you just go bang rocks together, right? <laughs> yeah. Be, because Emacs is the best. But you know, for, for beginners or for other people, sometimes VS Code is a little bit more approachable. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's what yeah. It makes sense. Uh, what I did was to install several editors yesterday. If I'm teaching, I'll still prefer to use something which is more approachable by people. I, I would still prefer to use something which is uh, easier to get by other people, such as VS Code, for instance. Uh, but uh, definitely you can make a workshop on Emacs. Mm-hmm. So one other thing that I'm curious about with this is how does Angular fit into the architecture for... Um, yeah you know, for a system like this? Because I think we all understand how it works and, you know, the advantages of doing training like this, but the technology doesn't seem exactly simple to just come up with, which of course is why it's a business model that works, right? I don't want to go build this. I just want to use it. Yeah. And your fits well for training. Well, the good thing in Ryan right now, which I which I love, is that you can teach not only Angular but also the tooling around the framework. So while when I'm uh, making an Angular workshop, I'm also able to teach VS Code and the all the neat extensions there, such as the Angular Language Service and uh, also Angular CLI and Colalizer. And I can also teach uh, actually in about maybe in about an hour. I'm going to start a work, uh, start a demo of uh, open source projects that I develop, which is running only on Windows, Linux uh, machines. So you can teach anything around the framework, not only the API part of uh, Angular itself, I think your core. Right. I guess what I'm asking is, is how are you using Angular to build this system in the first place? You know, are you wrapping WebRTC with Angular? Um, Is there some back end that it has to connect to in order to make this work? And how much of the work is Angular really pulling for you? So we're using a variety of technologies here. We have have React. We have uh, Go on the back end. Uh, we're using TypeScript everywhere. We mm, we are, well, it's a pretty complicated architecture in the end. We have things going on here. We're, we like the state management uh, of 
the Redux state management. So everything is built with Redux, Redux or NGRX. Or, uh, so yeah, basically we're doing, we're, we have a lot of abstractions. Yeah, we're following Redux there. Optimizations, because it also it's not very easy to handle 500 students joining your session, right? Because each one of them has a virtual machine and they need to send push uh, real-time updates to you. Mm-hmm. So give us the architecture front to back. For for the back end? No, front. Like, like, let's start with the glass, right? You know, it's HTML on the glass, right? And and you, you've built an application that is the... Let's talk, are we talking about the viewer now? Like, uh, I'm a user and I'm attending one of your workshops. I get, you know, it, there's an application... There's a, presumably a spa of some kind that I'm s- sitting in front of. Is that right? Yeah, uh, everything is a single-page application except the landing page, which is is static HTML. And it is communicating with several services. So you need to get real-time updates. So there is a service that you're talking to through a WebSocket. We have a RESTful API. And uh, yeah, actually several several WebSocket services uh, that you're communicating with. So you're getting constantly real-time updates for what is going in the going on in the workshop, and the best way to do to to get these is through a real-time communication like channel that you will be able to push updates real-time without flooding the server with constant uh, requests like polling. So yeah, we have a WebSocket uh, WebSocket server which is pushing you updates about uh, what students, what the students, individual students are doing, whether you're getting new messages. Also, uh, you're establishing a web RDC communication channel between the individual attendees in order to be able to like talk to each other. And sometimes, depending on the case, uh, we establish data channel between them. So directly peer-to-peer, we are talking to each one of the attendees for exchanging some specific type of metadata. So um, what's WebRTC? I know, Chuck, you seem to know what it was. Yeah, we've done JavaScript Jabber episodes about it, so I have discussed it with other folks. So, in a, in, a, in brief, what's WebRTC? Uh, WebRTC is uh, real-time communication through the web. So, basically, through your web browser, you can establish peer-to-peer channel with another web browser, and through this peer-to-peer channel, this this peer-to-peer t- channel could be either through TCP or UDP or HTTPS, far as I remember. Uh, and uh, through this channel, you can exchange anything. You can exchange media information or some data that, like JSON messages or whatever. Uh, it is very convenient API, but it is still not completely trivial. You need to get familiar with the entire process of establishing this peer-to-peer communication channel because, you know, the individual browser, they can be behind NAT. So if they're behind NAT, they don't have real IP addresses. So you actually need to figure out how you can establish this this channel uh, between them. Yeah. So I've seen okay, demos that, of, of WebRTC where they're doing video, uh, you know, peer to peer, or yeah, chat peer to peer, and essentially there's usually some kind of handshake on the server, and then um, you, all the communication goes from my browser directly to your browser after that. Yes. Yeah, that's how everything works. And uh, yeah, we use it for different purposes because there is, we want to know everything. Uh, we, know to, we want to know what is going on like real time in the guide because that's essential if people are following along. They, want, they don't have to, if they get stuck somewhere, 
we want to, the guides to be able to provide assistance as quickly as possible. So the the user experience is in a in an application that's written with. Did you say it's written with React? We have uh, React parts. We have Angular parts as well. We started working on it when uh, Angular the Angular team announced that uh, they are working on Angular two. That's how they called Angular back then. They said, "Well, it's written in Add Script, and um, since it's, it is written with Add Scripts, uh, we're going to introduce this." runtime type checking, and it is not going to have anything in common with AngularJS. So back then, uh, we decided that it might be a good idea to look into React for a bit. So that's why we have <laughs> that's why we have some modules written in React. Uh, we have adopted Angular as well for because of uh, like variety of reasons actually. And uh, we use TypeScript everywhere for both React and Angular. I, this this is really interesting to me because usually people will only use one <laughs> on their system, right? Yeah. Um, so is there some coordination level that you have to provide? Or well, is it mostly done through state management with Redux or NGRX or is it something else? Yeah, we have two different applications. Uh, the public-facing cap is written with React entirely. And our... Uh, something like an admin panel, something like a control application okay. where we're observing uh, what is going on actually and providing some some control. Uh, it is written with with Angular, so they're independent. Okay. They're not sharing state or anything. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be very healthy and it's going to introduce probably a lot of issues if we're trying to coordinate uh, both in the same app. Yeah, I was trying to imagine that. <laughs> That's why I asked. <laughs> Need to create a complex enterprise Angular application? Angular Bootcamp is an intensive three-day workshop class to learn the basics of Angular through sophisticated techniques for real-world applications. We target Angular 6 and the recent versions with much of the curriculum is suitable back to Angular 2. Or go beyond the three-day class with a consultation or project launch with Oasis Digital, the team behind Angular Bootcamp. We can assist your team or launch your project with advanced Angular topics, including scalability, data flow, state management, full stack product design, and more. Contact us for a private class at your location or buy a ticket for public classes in various cities around the U.S. and occasionally in Europe. Online live instructor training is also available at angularbootcamp.com. So it's fascinating, though. I mean, you, you know, you're one of the people, uh, relatively few, who've really lived both worlds. Anything you care to to say about that? Yeah I, yeah, I think on conceptual level, everything is pretty much the same. Both frameworks went into uh, this component model where you're building your component tree, and right after that, you're following an indirectional flow where everything is going through the uh, through the route, and just you're trying to keep your components as stateless as possible. So, on higher level of abstraction, enough, everything is pretty much the same. Mm. There are some pros and cons of both, of course. I really love the compiler, the compilation part in Angular, and I think it has an amazing potential and it can bring a lot of performance improvements in future. There is also a nice... Uh, uh, there are some, some pros of uh, React as well. It's, it is very simple. You can just drop it there in, in the page and it starts working. But because of the simplicity, we face also a lot of issues maintaining a large code base for the past couple of months. Mm -hmm. For instance, when React, the React Router version 4 went out, we spent several days migrating to it. Uh, 
We thank you where we haven't had any migration migration issues. Actually, I worked on migrations for Angular in order to make sure, like automated migrations for Angular in order to make sure that your code is going to just uh, go uh, use the latest version of the framework by allowing you to run. And all the effort that you need to put in this is just run a single command. So the Angular team is putting a lot, a lot of effort into this. That makes sense. What What's coming next with Ryan? So uh, currently, first, uh, the, pro- the platform is already pretty pretty stable. Uh, my first, uh, the first <laughs> time when I'm going to use Ryan for something big is probably uh, this weekend. We already know that it supports several hundreds of people, but still it's going to be interesting to, uh, to double check that, to verify. Also, during my ng-conf uh, workshop next week, in order to allow people to follow, I will give them access to a rhyme to I will give them access to to rhyme to virtual machines in rhyme so they will have mm-hmm. the exact same setup as me and they will be able to follow along during the workshop and so right after that we have some ideas like supporting having uh, multiple data centers so if you're in Europe you're going to get a virtual machine which is standing right next to you instead of uh, using virtual machines from the US uh, so multi-region is one thing that we will be work- working on in the near future. We also are going to do a lot of improvements in the video recording part, and uh, we're looking forward for pe- from uh, for feedback from people. Now, I, I assume most of that stuff is server-side stuff, and you're writing your server-side stuff in Go. Is that right? Yeah, we're using Go there. It's very simple, so uh, I like the simplicity and its fast compilation. What are you using to build and host the virtual machines? Uh, virtual machines are hosted like in the cloud. So we have, we are completely, well, they're right now in the cloud, but we, we are not coupled to any particular uh, virtualization like cloud provider. We can switch between them. We can even go with a custom hosting uh, solution at some point. We have an abstraction, uh, we have abstractions which allows us to do that. Gotcha. Yeah, the entire we're trying to keep ourselves not use too many technologies. So we are using only two languages right now: TypeScript and Go. We are statically typed. Uh, we are using a monorepo. I'm really a big fan of this. Like we all became very big fans of fans of the idea. We are able to share a lot of uh, the built infrastructure. We are able to very easily share some contracts such as Swagger schema between the front end and the back end. So. If anything changes in the API, our build fails. Uh, yeah, uh, we are statically typed everywhere. We have very strict linting rules and everything. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to build something uh, with the scale from scratch. We have about fifty thousand lines of our React application is about fifty thousand lines of code. The backend is maybe about forty, so it's growing pretty fast. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you, how are you using the uh, Redux pattern? What are you doing with it? So, uh, we're using, we have immutable store, uh, where we are keeping all the, dif- all the information, which is supposed to be shared among several, among, among several components, for instance, between different pages, let's say, uh, we are, we are pretty happy with this uh, in general. It's, it enforces very good separation of concerns. And what I love about it is that 
it simplifies the state management because the entire state lives only in a single place. So you don't, you you cannot uh, just keep two copies of the same state in two different components and after that make the synchronization between the state changes impossible or very hard and uh, error prone. Yeah, I don't know who would have done that in the first place. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I guess that's what happens. But I... Yeah. You know, I mean, even even without Redux, you would have had a, yeah. a single service that would have cached the current state of things and be alerting everything else when there's something to change. So, yeah, with uh, the Redux pattern, it's very easy to follow this. Uh, it's it, it just there. It, it, everything becomes more obvious. I guess that's what I that's what I like in it. And you should still follow some guidelines. For instance, it doesn't make sense. Well. It's nice if everything is into the global store, I guess, uh, but it still makes sense for some states to be local for some components. You don't have to introduce um, a lot too much like complexity and um, increase the size of your store if you're keeping something like, let's say, a form input um, and you don't have to necessarily move this to the global store, for example. So... Yeah, that's been a question for people. Some people, uh, I mean, you you see that in the discussions that people tend to throw everything into the store once they have one. But mm -hmm. uh, and so we keep telling them don't do that. But it's actually it's not. You know, um, they don't have good examples of what should and what shouldn't be in the store. So um, give us an example of what shouldn't be. Yeah, well, well I said stating input, uh, the form input, for instance, they they're not supposed to be. Well, in most cases, it doesn't make sense. Maybe there are some exceptions when it does, but I would say that we don't have such exceptions in Rhyme. Uh, also, some dialogues, uh, it makes sense to keep uh, their, whether they're open or not, in uh, some kind of a local store for, like, let's say, in a container component which holds some, some state, some local state. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something a place where, yeah. Yeah, I would think that that anything that's in the container component that's uh, where the container component is, is sort of governing a series of child components, mm -hmm. and that's the only place it talks to. That you know, that's not state you would put in the store unless you wanted to see it again later or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of your thinking too. Yeah, that's my thinking as well. If if this if it happens that um, this this state which is in the container component is uh, requires to be shared in a component which is either sibling of the container component or in an entirely different part of the component tree, then it's worth to move it to the lowest uh, common ancestor of these components, which needs to share the state or to the global store. Right. Yep. This is the pattern that we're following. And it's, it's, it definitely makes sense when you think about it. So, and it's easy to follow as well. Of course, there are other issues which, which are not uh, trivial to fix. Like there are sometimes race conditions happen, which we, you need to think about. In general, I, I think of the Redux store um, very similarly to just a database. You face a lot of issues, a lot of race conditions that you that you can see in uh, uh, your backend communicating with a database and like different right violations the same can happen in the front end as well with the redux store so conceptually everything is pretty much similar and you need to follow pretty much the same best practices 
Right. You can have two components on screen and they're both trying to update the same object and they have their own, Yes. depending on the granularity of your action, they can overwrite yeah. each other. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. People think that people think that can't happen, but it's <laughs> unless you write really granular actions, it happens. Yeah, either very granular actions or you recompute um, the values that you're going to pass to the actions, and there are just properties coming from the store, nothing which you have created locally. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you actually have to create them locally. If you get a new property where you need to update a field and you're using meta, you're getting your object out of the store. But uh, when you create, when you update it, you're getting a new instance. So these overrides are extremely possible and sometimes not obvious to fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a magic bullet. Uh, yeah. So. Um, it, the, you know, another thing that I always wonder you know, about is like, um, you have to be careful if you're listening, like, suppose I've got a screen there and I'm filling in, I don't know, the employee information, uh, first name, last name, and then somebody else somewhere else does an update and that sends a new employee object out, you know, and now I've got these pending changes. I have, It can very easily wipe out my current changes because yeah. a new object came through. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's pretty hard to, to stop. Um, so it's, uh, you think it's shared, but you want it to not be shared for a period of time and you have to be careful about it. But anyway, yeah. I mean, you know, you're going to, you get, you get problems with any kind of, uh, of pattern and you just have to, there are different problems when you just have to recognize them. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Completely. Um, well, it sounds cool. Sounds like you're having fun. Um, you've been at this a while then though. It sounds like this is not a new project. Yeah, we did. We started doing the research, so we weren't sure sure how exactly the problems that I mentioned in the beginning with the live workshops, like either webinar kind of things or a live workshops where you're staying uh, like physically physically in the same location. We weren't sure what is the best possible way to to solve them. So we were discussing different strategies, something like screen sharing eventually, but. But this doesn't solve the problem with a consistent environment. So we switched to using uh, virtual machines from the cloud. And after that, we were discussing what would be the best possible way to make the guides available to help more students, how we can um, just help them be more engaged in that. So we think. And also, everything is related to solving some technical challenges in the end, because this is not the like traditional, traditional uh, CRUD application field develop. So there were a lot of scalability issues that we had to solve. Um, a lot of a lot of APIs that we were hoping to get into the browsers actually got deprecated, so we had to come up with new solutions. And it was a fun process. But yeah, over the past about a year, we uh, fixed our vision, and now we are uh, pretty much ready for production use. Well, that's cool. Should everybody like? Uh, you, you, are you going to publish? Uh, uh, like, like I, when the people hear this podcast, it was going to be some time from today. How are they going to find out about Rhyme uh, workshops? How do how do people find out that stuff's going on? Here? Yeah, currently, uh, basically, I guess they should follow people on Twitter. I guess that's the easiest way to do that, or visit Rhyme.com, where we are most likely going to start publishing more details about the upcoming workshops. 
Uh, currently, it's just uh, yeah. I, for my workshop this Saturday, I created an Eventbrite event where uh, actually for about twenty four hour uh, for twenty four hours I got one hundred and fifty attendees. So this is going to be an exciting workshop. Uh, so yeah, just social media and eventually uh, rhyme.com. Uh, there we're going to publish information as well. Now these are free workshops, I take it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess at some point, well, if if a guide wants to make money through the platform, uh, they can. I'm doing free workshops mostly because I'm getting more involvement from people. And uh, well, actually, the drop rate with free workshops is very high. That's that's a problem that usually persists for workshops and conferences. Uh, what we were planning is to. Uh, Put some price of the workshop, let's say five or ten dollars, and after that, donate this money to an open source project, which seems like a great initiative. So we can try this one as well. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I would love to uh, to hear your feedback uh, about RAM if you have time to give it a try. Uh, it it has been good. a lot of fun working on it. So, what's your role at Rhyme? Uh, currently, formally, I'm the the CDO. So. We have a team of uh, really good engineers who are mostly with Angular experience. So they're switching between Angular and React as well. We have uh, an engineer who is extremely active in the uh, Rails community. He's organizing a lot of conferences and he's using Go right now. We have a, very, we have a great uh, backend engineer who is taking care of scalability and DevOps related things. Uh, yeah, we are a big team. I'm focused on the engineering part. Of course, we have good people in the other uh, divisions mm -hmm. as well. Curious who your Rails person is. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. All right, Miko, do you have some picks for us? All right, yeah, sure. Well, uh, so I have a... The, the Angular workshop this weekend, I guess, but probably this is going to get an, uh, get outdated pretty soon. So my pick is ng-conf and the videos that you're going to see there. Uh, nice. ng-conf is next, coming up next week and there are going to be some amazing talks there, I'm sure. Very cool. Um, I've got a few picks. Uh, the first one is, it's a book called 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. And he... There was a question on Quora, and I don't remember what the question was, but he, it was basically about how to live a good life or something related to that. And he replied with these 12 uh, ideas. And it sort of went viral. 
And so um, he wound up writing a book. Uh, he was approached by a publisher. Um, and yeah, so he wrote a book and basically explained those 12 uh, rules or those 12 ideas on how you should live. And I've really enjoyed it. It's been really, really terrific. So I'm going to pick that. Um, also, you mentioned NGConf. Um, I'm doing interviews with all of the speakers or as many of the speakers as I can get into a room on Tuesday and Thursday during NGConf. And so, yeah, if you're interested in NGConf and the NGConf experience, um, I'm trying to capture that with these speakers, uh, both from the end of speaking as well as just what they get out of the conference in general. So keep an eye out for that. We're also doing a live episode uh, at NGConf. So, um, you know, keep an ear to the ground for that as well. But yeah, um, so if you go to devchat.tv slash YouTube, you should be able to see those interviews. There are also interviews from NG Atlanta. Um, and I am pretty non-discriminating. So uh, at NG Atlanta, I wound up talking to some of the sponsors and just other people doing interesting things who were simply attending the conference. So I, I try and get an interesting mix. But uh, yeah, the speakers are the ones that I know I can reach out to first uh, to do the interview. So yeah, just putting that out there with regards to NGCOMP. Ward, do you have some picks for us? Well, I'm back with uh, a thought. Because um, I've been... Uh, every once in a while, you got to play buzzword bingo. And one of the words that keeps coming up all the time is microservices. Um, so, you know, it's pretty sure i knew what i thought about that but i decided i uh, having been hit over the head with it a few times i should look a little more closely and one of the books that i enjoyed reading it's not a new book but if you find yourself wondering uh, is building microservices by sam newman he's at thoughtworks which is a pretty reliable source of ideas and i thought it was i think it's pretty darn good so um if you haven't read it and you're doing microservices, worth reading. Good guidance from uh, all kinds of perspectives, how to organize a team, uh, how to get there from wherever you are, things to watch out for, how to not throw yourself right into the deep end and drown immediately, which is a, a real likelihood. So I liked it. Another sort of tech book that I'm actually surprised I'm enjoying is and with reservations is Satya Nadella. He's the he's the CEO of Microsoft, talking about what the heck is the name of that? It'll come to me in a second. It's called Hit Refresh. It's talking about the, the it, partly it's about him and how he sees the world, um, which is radically different than the way Balmer and and Gates do, obviously, um, and the way in which he treats people and also about the big move that Microsoft made from selling desktop products and server products to, to getting to the cloud, how they kind of got there. It's not telling any secrets, you know, I mean, some of it's pablum that the kind that you would expect from a CEO. Uh, but it does, um, it does give you a different vibe about what he's about, what he cares about, what he thinks Microsoft ought to care about. And he does, uh, he does face into some things like his um, notorious um, uh, gaffe at uh, the Women in Computing. I think it was a Grace Hopper event or something like that when somebody asked him whether women should ask how women should get a raise. And he said, I think you should just uh, sit tight and wait until you're recognized. That was a disaster. He faces that one. Pretty head on. What you know talks about how he how he came to make that mistake. What he realized in it, 
what they're doing and what he's doing about it, which is probably more important than anything else. And it was really, it was refreshing to see him uh, cope with that, cope with something that went wrong head on. So I like that book. I like, I like the way he talks. I like what I've seen at Microsoft uh, during the time he's been there. And so uh, I can recommend that book too. Hit refresh by Satya Nadella. Nice. Uh, I'm going to Microsoft build again this year for JavaScript Jabber. So it, it it's definitely, you, you can see his fingerprints all over what's going on there. So, Well, and you can, because I get to travel around the buildings and know the people on the inside. They are, they, uh, you know, he has moved the culture. He sees that as goal number mm-hmm. one. And this thing of them all sitting around pointing a gun at each other, that, that's, you know, I mean, any organization does that to a certain degree that people have ambition and they want to carve out their own space. Right. But he recognized that is almost problem number one. And they were, they're working. Everybody seems to feel like they can call anybody and expect uh, that somebody to be supportive. And, and that's a big change. Mm, that's nice. And it's important. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you, Miko, for coming. Um, if, if people want to check out Rhyme, one thing I didn't ask about was pricing. How much does it cost? Uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. So it costs, uh, it will cost you as much as you use. Uh, so it costs you basically, you pay for what you use. So it depends what virtual machine you're, what kind of virtual machine you're using. But as, uh, uh, it, is, it starts from uh, $2 per hour, I think, for virtual machines. So if you host a workshop with five people uh, for, for an hour, it's going to be like ten dollars, so it's kind of affordable. Gotcha. And uh, if people want to follow you online, uh, are you on Twitter? Do you have a blog, GitHub, all that good stuff? Yeah, uh, I'm on GitHub, on Twitter, and my blog. All of these are M Getif, uh, my first, the first letter from my first name and my last name. So yeah. Uh, on my blog, you're going to find about my most recent research uh, that I was explaining in the beginning. And everywhere else, you mostly get technical information from me. All right. Sounds good. We'll put all that in the show notes and we'll wrap this one up and we'll catch everyone next week. Good to talk to you, Minko. Good to take you as well. Yeah, you it's next. always fun to chat. All right. We'll uh, see you next week at NGConf. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.